This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Last week, we had a little video to kind of introduce the service. We did the same thing this year. So if you guys would just hold off for one moment before Pastor Kevin gets on stage and watch this video with us. Hey, cuss. My toes are numb. My leg is numb. My hips are numb. Dad, come check this tree out. Dad, this one's got to be the one. Dad, this one's so big it won't even fit in our yard. Hey, kids. I think we found the, the perfect tree. Isn't she a beaut? Hey, Dad. Yeah, bud. Did you bring the saw? I did. I did bring the saw. Look at this. Let's get to work on this thing. You know, Christmas is often defined in many ways by traditions, isn't it? I don't know about you, but for me, I get excited about the family traditions that we share every year. Maybe for you, uh, the tradition was that we're going to go drive around and look at Christmas lights. Maybe it was that you'd go Christmas caroling with your friends and your neighbors. Doesn't feel like people do that very much anymore. You know, space like this, a Christmas tree farm for some of us, was a family tradition to drive and Go find the perfect tree and cut it down. You know, I love the Christmas traditions that my family has. I look forward to them all year long. My parents started a tradition before we were even born, and it was kind of like having a charcuterie board, and we'd sit in the living room, and it was just special and intimate, and and we we loved those moments. It was so important, and really, we still do those today. But there's a tradition that we don't talk a lot about when it comes to our families at Christmas. And that is the tradition of dysfunction. Maybe for you, you're not excited about Christmas because you know that this Christmas, that same tradition is gonna come around again. Where there's been tension, there's going to be tension where there's been 
sin. There's still going to be sin. And for some reason, every Christmas, that dysfunction seems to find its way into our experience together. I know that for you, maybe you're dreading this Christmas because you know, oh, it's going to be that way again. I don't want to be around that. I don't want to deal with that. You know, family has a lot to do with even our own personal dysfunction because we learn in our families how to live in the world. That's why family is so important. For some of us, we learned poverty in our family. It's not an issue of resource. It's not like we learned poverty because our parents didn't have anything. We learned a mindset, and that mindset is how we view things. You know, you may come in a family where conflict always results in drama, and you get to Christmas and you're like, man, sparks are gonna fly between them and between them. It's a tradition of dysfunction. And I think it's reasonable to ask, how do I navigate that? How do I navigate a season when there's a collision of intimacy, when we're gonna be around each other, but the dysfunction's not going away? In this movie that we're looking at today, it is apparent that this family is dysfunctional. It's comical, but in ways like our family, it's often sad. So as we look at it today, we're literally gonna ask the question, how can we navigate the dysfunction in our family and love our family? As we look at the really classic film, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I'm excited about what the next few minutes are gonna mean for you. I believe God's gonna give us a grace for this Christmas. But to set it all up, I want you to watch this first scene, which is really kind of all about this space, going to pick out a Christmas tree. What a simple, normal thing to do, but when dysfunction enters the room, it takes things that are really good and healthy and twists them and corrupts them and turns them into something that's not. And I believe that as we go through this today, you're gonna to see that. So let's watch this first clip. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 la. Done we now our gay apparel. Fa la 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 la. Hey, the carol. Fa la 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 la. Take it, Russ. Fa la 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 la. Dad, can you explain again what we're doing? Sure, Russ. We're kicking off our fun old-fashioned family Christmas by heading out into the country in the old front-wheel drive sleigh to embrace the frosty majesty of the winter landscape and select that most important of Christmas symbols. We're not driving all the way out here so you can get one of those stupid ties with the Santa Clauses on it, are we, Dad? No, I have one of those at home. What we're looking for today is the Griswold family Christmas tree. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. 
And forgive my husband. He knows not what he does. Amen! so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. <sighs> my toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Oh, that's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big, it's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <sighs> Look at it. It really is beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beaut, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. <laughs> the three are the symbol of the spirit of the Griswold family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? Welcome, family. It's a beautiful thing. For many of us growing up, family was a safe place, a place where we could be ourselves, a place where we were known, appreciated, and loved. But it's important to, in this space, acknowledge that family is often many times as well broken. It's a place where our deepest betrayals happen. Where there's relational trauma and just to confess it in a space like this so that some of you know that you're not alone. It's a place where abuse happens. I'm going to make a statement about family as we get ready to start today. Every family is beautiful and broken in their own way. Every family. That's your family of origin. And if you're a parent today, the family that you're leading. Every family is beautiful 
and broken in their own way. Today, we're going to laugh about it. I was listening to some comedians talk about their families, the late George Burns, one of the greatest comedians of all time, said happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family that lives in another city. George Carlin once said, the other night I ate at a very nice family restaurant. Every table had an argument going on. Mary Carr said something that I think some of us can identify with. I think a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. And that's because every one of us has sin. And when we show up, to the party, we bring our sin with us. And our sin, whether we know it or not, creates dysfunction. Some of y'all feel like you come from, when I just get around my, these are the weirdest, most broken group of human beings I've ever been around, right? How did I even come out of this DNA pool? Jeff Foxworthy once said, if you ever start feeling you have the goofiest, craziest, most dysfunctional family in the world, all you need to do is go to the fair. In five minutes, you'll be saying, you know what? We're all right. We're dang near royalty. <laughs> oh. Just thinking about holidays, I, I saw the, this an anonymous saying, the holidays bring out the best in our family dysfunction. <laughs> Oh, some of us know just a few moments, few days, few weeks, we're going to get together and it's going to be like that again. Every family is dysfunctional in some way. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about dysfunction in family. And I want to very clearly articulate from the very beginning that we're talking about dysfunction, not abuse. If there's abuse, real simply, get away, get distance, get help, okay? I want that to be real clear. We're not talking about abusive situations. We're talking about what every family goes through, and that's dysfunction. Maybe that's why we love the Griswolds. For some of us, this is the Christmas movie. Maybe the reason we love it is because we see ourselves in them. We see the dysfunction that is so pervasive in our own story. And in them, we have permission to laugh about it. So today we're going to journey with them and ask the question, where did it come from? What do we do with it? Let's watch this next clip from the Griswold family. 50 strands of light, 100 individual bulbs per strand for a grand total of 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. Hey! 25,000. Well, I hope nobody I know drives by and sees me standing in the yard staring at the house in my pajamas. If they know your dad, they won't think anything of it. Oh. Fire it up, Dad! I dedicate this house to the Griswold family Christmas. Oh. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. 
Oh, oh, uh... see what a silly waste of resources this was. He worked really hard, Grandma. So do washing machines. Let's get in where it's warm. Uh, Clark, yeah. baby, I can picture it in my mind, and it's breathtaking. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. It's probably a bad bulb, son. You know, if one goes out, the whole thing doesn't work. Now, if I were you, I'd personally check each one. I did that, Dad. I can't. Well, look, if you need any help, uh, give me a holler. I'll be upstairs asleep. Thanks. Sorry, Danny. It looks good even if they're not lit. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Well, Dad, it was a good try. Thanks, Russ. Us. Yeah. We checked every bowl, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Thought so. Maybe we ought to go up there and just get. Oh, whoa, jeez! Look at the time. I gotta get to bed. Brush my teeth, feed the hog. Still got some homework to do. Do the laundry, wash the car. Still got those bills to pay. Clark. Don't step too late. Sparky. Yes, honey. for a reason or are you just avoiding the family no i still have a couple hundred more bulbs to check in the meantime i can light the sand on the eight tiny reindeer and the merry christmas sign that should look good ready you want me to do the drum roll thing no it's okay here goes nothing i don't understand it House lights don't work. The floodlights don't work. Well, is it plugged in? Honey, do you honestly think I would check thousands of tiny little lights if I wasn't sure the extension cord was plugged in? You used more than one cord, didn't you? Maybe the kids have been fooling around with it. I'll check them back.
It's so lovely. You deserve a home like this to spend Christmas in. It's a butte, Clark. It's a butte. You taught me everything I know about exterior illumination. Thank you. Thank you. Russ, Audrey. Dear, dear friends, I hope this adds to your enjoyment of the holidays. Oh, it's just wonderful. Arthur. Art. Dad. Thanks for being here. The little lights are not twinkling. I know, Art, and thanks for noticing. How sure does look swell, Clark. Thanks, Eddie. I hope it enhances your holiday spirit. <laughs> Dear Catherine. Eddie? <laughs> oh, the house is gorgeous, Clark. <laughs> Eddie? I hope you didn't do this all on our account, Clark. <laughs> Kids, come on out here and see what Uncle Clark's done to the house. Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you've read the Bible, you've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Historically known as the patriarchs or the founding fathers of Judeo-Christian faith. They're so important to the story of Jesus that the gospel writer Matthew introduces them to us as he's introducing Jesus to us. The very beginning of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, reads this way. This is the genealogy or the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. And it continues on to chase the lineage all the way through David and then all the way to Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These have to be some incredible families, right? I mean, just stellar families. Families that show us how to do it. No, not at all. Our staff is reading through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Schizero. And he's actually, through the book, he's inviting us to look into our family of origin and to understand that in many ways, what happened years ago, even 150 years ago, just generations ago, still has generational implications for us today. In one passage, he said this, Abraham lied twice about Sarah. If you remember in the story, he's afraid they're in a foreign land. That's not my wife. That's my sister. He would be in a better posture to protect her as sister rather than wife. He lied. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Rebecca becomes a very manipulative, lying wife. 
that is constantly trying to trick Isaac. Jacob lied to almost everyone. As a matter of fact, the early character that Jacob carried was conniving. Then 10 of Jacob's sons faked their brother Joseph's death and lied about it for decades. Please look at this. What was a small character flaw in one generation, two generations later, became a fundamental personality trait. This is why Moses would record that the sins of a father are visited upon their kids to the third and fourth generation. See, instead of a lineage of perfection, Jesus was born into a lineage of dysfunction redeemed by grace. I want to make two simple observations from that as we get started. Number one, your future is not limited by your family lineage or your personal past. A lot of times when you're born into something, you view it as a limit. I will never get out of. I'll never be better than. This is how it's always going to be. They're not a limit, but they are a challenge. Your family's patterns of sin will make your life more difficult. They will. It will be something that you have to choose to address and overcome. And these are the things, these sin patterns that are seen and unseen. There are things about you that you see. You know, okay, I know I'm a little controlling. I know I'm a little, and I don't like to talk about negative emotions. I don't, if I'm sad or frustrated, we don't share that kind of stuff. And I, I like to be right all the time. There, there are things that you see, but there are things about you that you do not see. There are things about the way you do life, the way you understand the world, that you do not see in yourself. It's what we like to call the fish in the water principle. If you asked a fish, are you wet? They would say, what does that even mean? No. Why? Because they've only known water. It's all they've ever known. They don't know the contrast between wet and dry. And for some of us, we have only known conflict always leads to drama. You have to always be right. We've only known our dysfunction. So I was preparing for this message. I came upon a Christian clinical psychologist that after her work with families proposed what she calls the eight rules of a dysfunctional family. I read these off to my wife and she goes, is it bad that I feel like I can identify with all eight? You might not, like we could, but I'm gonna bet that there's two or three that every one of us can go. That's me. It's dysfunction, it's not healthy. Here's rule number one. You must always be in control, especially of your emotions, behaviors, and relationships. I just read that and some of y'all go, 
That's how we're supposed to be, right? Fish in the water. Number two, be right about everything. And when you're having a conflict, argue with somebody about how right you are. Number three, always assign blame. If there's something wrong, it's somebody's fault. Blame yourself, blame somebody else. Rule number four, deny the validity of yours and others' feelings, thoughts, perceptions, wants, and imagining. Why do you feel that way? Why do you want that? Why do you think that? That's not, that's not true. That's not right. That's not. Rule number five, don't communicate honestly. And some of you are like, no, I speak the truth all the time. Yeah, but you're unwilling to talk about when you're sad. You're unwilling to talk about when you're frustrated. You're unwilling to talk about when you're disappointed. That's not honest. Rule number six. I mean, if you look on the bright side, there's really not a problem. Denial. Dismissing. Rule number seven. Stay upset and confused. Don't communicate. And do not work towards any resolution. Some of y'all are like, that's how we do family. It only gets worse if you talk about it. Rule number eight, don't trust anyone. Then you won't be disappointed. And the only way you can trust somebody is if they're doing what you tell them to do. Your family's brokenness can probably be found in one of those perspectives. But your family's brokenness, while it is a challenge, please hear me out, it is not a limit. This is your limit. Number two, you are limited by how honest you'll be about your family's dysfunction and the work you'll do to overcome it. That is your limit. Will you be honest about it? All right, we're not good at that. Will you be vulnerable enough to say, I, sh I struggle with talking about when I'm disappointed and when I'm frustrated? For some of us, we don't like doing this because it feels disrespectful. I feel like I'm dishonoring my mom or my dad. Most parents, most parents are doing the best they can with what they have where they're at. And those of us that are self-aware enough to see some of our brokenness, do not want to pass it off to our kids. I can say this. When my kids get to the point that they understand the brokenness that I carry and they can identify it, I want them to be able to know it so that they can overcome it. Be honest. Will you do the work? And work's going to involve discipline. The Bible says that no discipline is without pain. It's painful but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Will you re 
invite the discipline into your life to overcome the obstacle? Are you gonna seek counsel? Are you gonna seek the counsel of wise people around you? Are you gonna go literally sit with a counselor? Would you help me? Because if you're unwilling, if you're unwilling to learn from your past, you'll repeat it. If you're unwilling to. And for some of us, the greatest barrier to a healthy future is our unwillingness to admit the brokenness of the past. But let me give you one bit of advice. This is so important. Do not villainize your family. You're not a victim to their dysfunction. Kids that are born into poverty that break free of poverty. There are kids that are born in controlling environments that learn to trust and accept. Instead of blaming them, instead of being a victim, be honest and do the work. Be honest and do the work. And what will happen is as you do that, one day you'll see it. You'll see, I, I started diving in and I never saw how controlling we were. I never saw how we always had to be right. I never saw how we never trusted anybody and it constantly provokes fear and doubt and worry. When that happens, resist the urge to judge them too harshly. Resist the urge to judge them too harshly. Instead, realize that you're in a moment that God is guiding you forward. He's growing you. Enjoy the process and learn to laugh. Learn to laugh when you see it. I think that's what's so funny about this movie is that there's some scenes when it is like so glaringly dysfunctional like this scene we're about to watch as they sit down to have Christmas dinner. Let's watch this together and laugh. You don't have some fire clock. No, Bethany, those are Christmas lights. Don't throw me down, clock. I'll try not to, Aunt Bethany. Is this the airport clock? We're here. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, oh great. Oh. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. I pray.
pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 <sighs> Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> okay, Eddie. Crying, huh? I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. Here's the heart. What's the matter with you? Look what you've done to my tree! Lewis. Oh, for some of us, feels like that when we get together at Christmas, doesn't it? Oh. I want to give you three practical points of advice as we get ready to uh, embark on Christmas season and be around our family again. And the first thing that I want to tell you is you cannot address what you will not admit. You cannot address what you will not admit. Oh, there's stuff for all of us when we think about our our lives that we we probably see it a little bit and we we probably know that it's there but until we're willing to acknowledge it and admit it and say yeah I'm controlling I have a hard time talking about moments when I'm sad or communicating disappointment. I, I, I do feel like I always have to be right. I know that's broken. And so we're willing to admit it. We can't address it. If you're the person here and you don't like admitting stuff, I don't like saying that that's not right about, you know what, I can, I, I know that it, it's kind of not right, but, but it's, don't look at that, look at this. Why are you always talking to me about this? Why don't we talk about this? You need to get along with Jesus. Because here's the thing about this message of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus does not work if you're right. And there's too many people in here in our world, that claim, look at how right I am, and claim Jesus. 
The gospel of Jesus only works if you're wrong. That's it. It's the only way it works. The entry point to receiving the power of God is confession and repentance. What is that? God, I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. Not even in my behavior, in my nature, I'm broken. Romans 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Either you're right or the Bible's wrong. That's it. Because often in our rightness, we're wrong. So the question is, are you going to be willing to be vulnerable and admit it? Yes, God, I'm, I'm controlling. I don't like that about myself, but that's how I am. I try to control me, my emotions, my family, my circumstances, my relationships. God, I have a hard time communicating honestly. I don't know how to talk about things when I'm sad. I don't know how to talk about when I'm disappointed besides getting angry. I don't know how to do this. Yeah, I always have to be right. I always have to be right. And when I'm not right, and somebody's telling me that I'm not right, we're going to argue about it because I'm going to prove to them how right I am. Yeah, I don't listen to anybody. As a matter of fact, if somebody tries to tell me a way that they're feeling, I tell you shouldn't feel that way. That's not real. I don't trust your perspective. I don't trust your thoughts, your emotions. There's no validity in that. And it's because I don't trust at all. You'll never be able to address what you cannot admit. That's number one. Number two, real practical, break the cycle and refuse to make the same mistakes. Break the cycle and refuse to make the same mistakes. My dad, many of you know my dad who serves here. My dad um, it's like most guys of his generation they don't cry a lot but I remember as a young man my dad telling me the story of graduating from boot camp and not having had a lot of communication with his family but having clearly communicated and articulated when he was going to graduate and how to get there and really hoping in his heart that his family would show up only to through tears communicate to me that they did not one of multiple kids, his parents were rarely there. But my dad made a decision that it would not be that way for us. He was my t-ball coach. He was there every time I did anything. He was going to be there. And even though I was literally statistically proven the worst football player in the history of Stanley County, Living outside of Charleston, my dad drove, drove all the way even to our away games on Friday afternoons. Because he decided that that stops with me. No more. I want you to see this because this is very valuable. Awareness of the pattern. Now that's the awareness of the sin pattern 
in my family leads to me being able to address the problem. Until I'm aware of it, I can't address it, okay? And I've got to admit it. I see it. I'm aware. Now I can address the problem. And that leads to advancing the possibility. Breaking the chains that have held in generations. So how do I break free from that? This summer I read through the Psalms and there's a refrain throughout all the Psalms. Psalm 50 verse 15 puts it this way. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. It's just the, the voice of God speaking to us. When you find yourself in trouble, call on God. He will deliver you. And then when you were there and it was broken and God got you out, there will come a day you'll look back on that and go, I'm no longer there. God, you got me out of that. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you for it. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. From my fears. My worries, my anxieties, my doubting his character and his goodness. It's sin. And if the problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's why Christmas is so powerful. This is the God who came to us in our brokenness. A God who wouldn't leave you alone. Who wouldn't just going to say, hey, you try to figure it out on your own. So number three I want you to see this. You cannot do the work alone. You cannot. You can't do this alone. When we talk about be humble, admit the problem, do the work, you cannot do the work alone. Now, obviously, you need Jesus. We get that. But you didn't get into this thing on your own. If you're dealing with generational implications, it was a family that walked you into where you are. For some of us, it was friends that got us where we are. You didn't get into this thing on your own. You're not getting out on your own. And there's a subtlety of pride that will rob you of freedom because pride will lie to you and tell you that all you need is you and God. That's it. Don't talk to me about me and God are working through. I don't need your advice. I got this. Just think about it. So many families are abusive and hurtful. And you're carrying around that woundedness from something that was done years, maybe decades ago. And you can get on your knees and get in front of God and say, God, please forgive me for carrying unforgiveness. Please forgive them for what they do. And God will do that. He will release you. He will release them. Forgiveness is powerful in that way. But James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and be healed. There's some of us that are forgiven but not healed because we haven't involved other people. Galatians 6, verse 2, look at this. Share each other's burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Some of us look at that and go, I will do that. 
I will be there for my kids. I will be there for my friends. I will help them carry their burdens. That's not all that this means. It means also that you've got to be vulnerable enough to admit when you need other people to show up and help you carry yours. And what does it say? If you don't see that, you are badly deceived. You cannot do it alone. But you can break free. If you'll admit it and address it, see it as it is, okay? Don't try to see it through those rose-colored glasses and accept your family where they are. Accept them, love them, but you choose something different for you. You are not the victim. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. The problem Problem's not that we're controlling. The problem is not that we don't like sad talk. The problem is not that we're, we always want to be right. The problem is sin. That's it. That's the problem. And I just want to remind you today, the answer is Jesus. So this Christmas, it's my prayer that you'll be willing to admit so that you can address, you'll make the decision, I'm gonna break the cycle, it's gonna end with me. And you'll know, I can't do this alone. I need Jesus and I need people around me. I need some people who show up and have a hard conversation. I need the people that'll point things out in me that I don't see in me, that aren't good in me, but that gives me an opportunity to begin to address it. God, show me where I'm the fish in the water, where I'm just, that's all I've ever known. Jesus, help me to receive all that you have for me. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.